On the way home from church one Sunday, uh, Dad was driving the car, and, and he asked his young son what he'd learned in Sunday school that day. And the young boy said, well, we learned about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Dad said, you know, I, I know that parable, but, you know, why don't you tell it to me in your own words? And so the boy said, okay, Dad, I can do that. He said, Dad, there was this guy, and he got robbed and beat up by this gang. Then there were these two preachers who came along. And when they saw him, and they saw that he'd already been robbed, well, they just left him alone. Think about that. <laughs> you know, we do create stereotypes about people, don't we? Sadly, some religious leaders in our society are seen as people who are always with their hand out, always trying to take money from other people. You know, as we've been studying through this series that Don McLaughlin has put together through the book and the DVDs, uh, it has challenged me in many ways to stop and think about what am I doing? Am I really sincere with what I'm doing? Am I, are my actions my, and my thoughts matching up with the words that I say every Sunday when I preach. There are stereotypes out there. We can't help that. But unfortunately, we do have a tendency to get involved with them. Could you go to the next slide, please? So when I look at our society and some of the stereotypes that we have out there, you know, we have some religious leaders are seen as greedy. Politicians are usually painted with a broad brush of being crooked, aren't they? Okay. Lawyers are heartless, right? I'm looking at one, seeing if I can get a reaction out of them. <laughs> um, you know, of course, engineers are nerds, right? Uh, we have a few of those in the congregation. <laughs> you know, it's something we do, but I don't think it's really a good thing that we do when we make those stereotypes. Because are all preachers focused on money? No. Are all politicians criminals? Certainly not. Are all lawyers opportunists? No. Um, you know, they're not out there to make money and you know, get people in trouble or whatever. You know, engineers, are they all socially awkward? Not really. I know some that can really groove pretty good on their instruments too when they want, you know. It's amazing. You know, we, we throw these stereotypes out there, but when we do that, we're in essence telling a lie because we're saying something about a group of people that can't really be said. And so that's a lie. I think we need to be careful about that, especially as Christians. We need to be careful about stereotypes, especially when we're describing God. Do they help the lost know God better, or do they make him less accessible? Make him so that they can't really relate to him or even are afraid of him. I studied with a person who was just really great. She said, Jesus is great. Like Jesus, I don't like God. Um, there was a problem there. <laughs> uh, and, and I started to dig into it and come to find out that she had had a very difficult relationship with her earthly father. And because the illustration uh, or analogy of God as our father was so pressed on her, uh, all those 
underlying feelings came out. This image of God as Father was the one she was told about, but it also brought up all the hurt that was there. Christians, we need to present the full picture of God, not an isolated one. When you go to John, the fourth chapter, Jesus reveals to the Samaritan woman that God is not going to be worshipped on this mountain or on that mountain, but he's going to be worshipped in what? Spirit and in truth. Because why? Because God is spirit. He's not human. He's not even of our physical dimension. He is a being that transcends all dimensions that could be imagined. Therefore, even biblical language about God is there mainly to help us fathom God. You know, to think about him in human terms that we might be able to get a little bit of an idea about. So if we're going to be describing God, we need to be biblical in the way that we talk about him. But we also need to understand that these are just efforts to give us an insight into this being that is so great. And yes, he does refer to human characteristics, but not all male. Jesus, God in the flesh, refers to himself in Matthew 23, verse 37, and Luke 13, verse 34, as a hen gathering chicks under its wings. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 49, answers the accusation of Israel that he has forgotten them by picturing himself as a woman nursing a child. He writes in verse 15, Can a woman forget her suckling child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget yet I will not forget you. Later, he reaffirms his steadfastness to Israel in captivity in chapter 66, verse 13, by saying, as a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you. So God describes himself in terms of a mother. And he also is described in the terms of being a father. Psalm 68, verse 5 reads, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. David speaks of living in his father's house forevermore in Psalm 23. And of course, he's speaking about living with God. Further, God is referred to as the father by Jesus often. And uh, by example, we think of the Lord's Prayer, our father who art in heaven. The Apostle Paul uses this image of God to describe him in Ephesians 1st chapter, verse 3. God is Father. He is Mother. He is loving. He is jealous. He is wrathful. He is merciful. And all of these just scratch the surface of describing this great God. Human language just has a hard time keeping up. This is especially true when we try to understand his basic nature. That is, is being, which is by nature, love. That is his basic, fundamental foundation of his being. 
only presenting God as a father or only presenting him as a mother or only presenting him as wrathful or only presenting him as jealous doesn't help us understand God. We need to understand who he is at his base nature first. And then these other things add color and nuance and understanding to that God. But failing to understand his essential nature and concentrating on these other things really sets us up for letting knowledge puff us up. You know, that knowledge kind of puffs us up and we think we know all about it because we know all these things about God. But if we don't know his love, we don't know God at all, even though we may know a lot of things about him. And this was the case for the teachers of the law that, uh, that were in the sects of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They had defined God in a thousand ways, but they had failed to understand his loving nature. This parable illustrates this. If we are not able to help the ones in life who are clearly in need of help, how can we love God who is concerned for the sparrow of the field, the grass of the field, but puts his greatest value upon humanity? These two religious leaders in the parable knew better. The teacher of the law who asked the question to get this started in the first place demonstrated that he knew God expected us to love our fellow man. Our neighbor. Jesus identified his problem not as one of knowledge, but rather of application. Don't we have a similar problem sometimes? Don't we know what is right to do, but fail to do it? And when we apply God's will to our life, if we would apply God's will to our life, this I think is a better term on that, I think we would be surprised at how effective it would be in changing the lives of others. Canadian writer and uh, Nobel laureate Saul Bellow gathered a collection of traditional Jewish tales. And this story comes from one of these stories. It's a story about a religious leader who understood. In a small Jewish town in Russia, there was a rabbi who disappeared each Friday morning for several hours. He devoted, his devoted disciples boasted that during these hours, their rabbi went up to heaven to talk to God. A stranger moved into town and was skeptical about all of this, so he decided to check things out. He hid and watched as the rabbi got up in the morning, said his prayers, and then dressed in peasant clothes. He followed him as the rabbi picked up an axe and went out into the woods and began to cut firewood. He watched him as he then hauled all that firewood to a small shack on the outskirts of the village. There an old woman and her sick son lived. He left them wood, enough for a week, and then snuck back home. Having observed the rabbi's actions, the newcomer stayed on in the village and became a disciple of the rabbi. And whenever he heard one of the villagers say, On Friday morning, our rabbi ascends all the way to heaven. The newcomer quietly adds, If not, higher. The love of God is demonstrated in our lives when we can show it to the least of those among us. The working out of God's loving nature in our lives is more powerful 
been a sermon or a series of sermons about love that we're in right now. Personally, Jesus' words to the teacher of the law are humbling for me. Go and do likewise. Okay, preacher, Jesus is saying to me, you know the word, you've studied theology, you've studied Greek and the biblical text, you know Christian history, and you know all the current issues facing the church. Now go and love people the way I love you. Go help the widow who can't do a thing in return. Go help the poor who may never cross the threshold of your church's door. Go and do this because it is a reflection of the God of love who dwells in you, Roger, through his Holy Spirit. Love as the Lord Jesus loved us. He sacrificially gave himself to die for our sins. That's what we're called to do. Love as God loved, first and sacrificially. Don McLaughlin, his book, Love First, reminds us of that. Would you go to the next slide, please? God wrapped his love for us in Jesus so that we might see what divine love looks like in human form. Christ lives in us and through us, reshaping us into his image. We are called to love others into this life-giving love of God. He goes on to say later, ridicule and insult turn people from the love of God because it misrepresents him as if he is misshapen. This is a crisis nonsense that we face. Too often, we use the parable of the Good Samaritan to answer the question that the teacher of the law asked. Who is my neighbor? We are not too different from him in this. It's not that we really want to do what is right. We just want to feel justified in not doing it. That teacher knew what to do, didn't he? But he wanted to justify himself for what he was not doing. So he tried to narrowly define who his neighbor was. Jesus blew that out of the water, didn't he? Blew that out of the water. We have a tendency to do the same thing. We try to narrow our circle of who our neighbor is, who we're responsible for, so that we can go through life feeling good because we've checked off our boxes going to church. We even maybe read our Bible today, even said a prayer. But did we treat our fellow man or woman with compassion, with care? Funny thing is, the Levite and the priest, they passed by a fellow Jew, someone who shared his beliefs and his values, and their values. It was the Samaritan, the dreaded, hated Samaritan, who understood that the love of God extended even to a person who, if the roles were reversed, would have walked away from him on the other side of the road and done nothing to help him. The sad thing is, church, that today, too many believe that particular stereotype about Christians. That we talk a great talk, but that we don't follow it up. It's up to you and me to break that stereotype by being true image bearers of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that this is going to be easy. 
Sometimes we might even need to repent. Repent of the ways that we have slipped into that stereotypical behavior ourselves. But that's okay. I would rather repent and be humble and become like Jesus than to be unrepentant and conform to this world and stand in jeopardy of the wrath of God. And that is the challenge that I want to leave you with this morning, this Mother's Day to repent, to be transformed by the love of God into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, to let go of self-justification and simply let God be the one who justifies us, to go and do likewise, like our Savior, like our God who loved us from before the foundations of the world, who loved us and gave His Son so that we and all the world might have everlasting life. My question for you this day, for you to think on this week, is how big is your love? Let's God-size it and see what wonders God will accomplish in us and through us as a result. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you so much for your love. We are humbled, Lord, that you have called us your children. That is what we are, and we are so grateful. Father, we pray that as your children, we will truly reflect your nature, your loving nature. You are love, Father. We, we long to be like you. We long to be like your Son, Jesus Christ. But we confess, Lord, that we fall short. We don't always make it. So, Lord, I pray that you will forgive us when we fail. Forgive us when we allow our, our petty biases and ignorance get in the way of loving those who truly need your love. Help us to look out across our society and not see skin color, not see economic status, not see nationality, but to see instead objects of your love. Those whom you created and that you long for them to know the good news of Jesus Christ, to know his love, and to share in the salvation that he provided for us on earth. Help us, Lord, to look with your eyes, to understand with your heart. Indeed, Lord, help our eyes and your heart be one. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you have not yet obeyed the gospel of Christ and been united with him as your Savior in baptism, we want to encourage you to do that. If you have questions about that, we're always ready to ask, answer those questions, to study with you, to talk with you. Uh, give me a call. Talk to one of the other brothers and sisters here. We'd be glad to help you. And as a Christian, if you are struggling and need the church's prayers, uh, the song that we're about to sing is an opportunity for you to come forward and for us to help you with those, uh, whatever your need. The invitation is yours now. Come while we stand and while we sing.